0: for uh, bringing us that song. that I, I think about that song uh, a lot. And I've actually thought about that in the context of my own daughter uh, before because of its message that those who come behind us um, will look at the path we lay down in front of them. And more often than not, they'll, they'll walk it. And even if they don't, they'll have to think about it while they're walking the other direction. Um, go ahead and pull out your Bible uh, to Titus chapter 2. Um, Titus chapter 2. I told y'all a month ago, um, whenever we did Mother's Day, that I preached a message titled Biblical Motherhood. Um, And I said, ladies, if you'll notice, I'm skipping the verses that have to do with the men. And some of y'all just kind of looked at me, and I know in your heart and your mind, you thought, letting them off easy. I said, no, 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 no. Fellas, you're going to have your day in a month. Well, fellas, your day has arrived. You are here. And we're going to talk about biblical fatherhood. And I want to give uh, a special uh, kind of... I don't even know what the word for this is. Disclaimer. Uh, uh, warning. If there are those of you sitting out here in, the, in, in the, the congregation and you think, well, this sermon doesn't apply to me. I'm not a dad. If you are a man especially, yes, it does. It does in fact apply to you. Because Paul did Paul have any... Did Paul have any children of his own? Bible trivia people. No, Paul did not have any children. Paul did not have any children at all. And yet, what did he call Timothy? His son in the faith. That there is such a thing as being a spiritual father to someone who is not your biological child. If you are a man in this congregation then there is some other man of a younger age or younger maturity level somewhere around you in this church or in your church home elsewhere if you're visiting with us from somewhere else. There is a younger or less mature man in the faith that you are obligated to mentor like, well, I don't know if I'm qualified to mentor. One of my professors in seminary used to say that all you have to, all you, the only qualification for you mentoring somebody is you got to be one step ahead. If you're one step ahead of them, you can teach them how to make that one step. And by the time they make that step, you'll have made one more, and you can just lead them in that one step that goes right behind them. So even if you are not a dad, listen, some of y'all, some of y'all in here, are teenagers. Do you if if you're a teenage male and there is a younger sibling or younger friend of the family that you know guess what they're looking up to you That you never know you might become a father in the faith to somebody who's not that much younger than you It's very possible. So, uh, today we're going to talk about biblical fatherhood, kind of the same way we talked about biblical motherhood. So if you will stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down and do 6 through 8, because the other ones were for the ladies, and we covered them on Mother's Day. So Titus chapter 2, 1 through 2, and then 6 through 8. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober... Reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Verse 6, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Father, I pray that you bless us as we study your word today to help us as men know how to be better fathers and better mentors and to help the ladies in the congregation know better how to come alongside those men and maybe this will remind them how to mentor young women um, and it will remind us of the need to develop um, men in leadership in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you can be seated. So, uh, if you still have your Mother's Day sermon outline, some of you I know you like to keep those. If you look at your Mother's Day outline and you look at your Father's Day outline, you will notice the three points are exactly the same. The three points are exactly the same. The only thing that is different is the supporting Scripture. The first one is going to sound especially familiar. I want us to look at biblical fatherhood through three lenses. I want us to see first that Christian fatherhood is a theological endeavor, that it is something that involves you having to get down and dirty with your Bible and teaching those younger than you theology and doctrine. Fellas we got to use our brains and our hearts that that's part of it. So first, Christian fatherhood is a theological endeavor. Second, I want us to see that it's a personal endeavor. That being a good Christian father or a good Christian mentor or a good Christian male leader has to do with your own personal life. It has to do with how you live, what you believe, what you say, what you do. And then finally, I want us to see that Christian fatherhood is a church-wide endeavor. Anybody ever heard that it takes a village? It takes a village. So, men who are dads, this is you. Men who are not dads, this is you. Ladies who help your husbands, this is you. That it takes a village, that the entire listen to me. In 2019, it's difficult for to, to say this and have this get across. Men get maligned a lot in the media. True or false? It's very true. That there seems to be this growing sentiment that if there's a problem in society, it's men who did it. And guys, men do a lot of things wrong. But you know who else does? Women do. You know why? Because we're both human. And we do lots of wrong things. But the biblical truth is that men have a role and women have a role. in the church, particularly in the West, Western culture, the church in the West is under attack right now because we are losing our men. Ladies, would you like to see more active leading men in the church? Do you hear that, fellas? We owe it to them and to our obedience to Christ to be the spiritual leaders in the church and in our families that God called us to be. If we are not, the entire church will suffer. It is a church-wide endeavor. So I'm going to start in verse 1. And I want us to go down and and look at how it's a theological, personal, and church-wide endeavor. First, Christian fatherhood is a theological endeavor. Look at verse 1. Paul says, uh, I'm going to turn my page. Paul says, as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Uh, Speak is in the Greek. It's a present active imperative. It means to speak continually. That this is not to be the kind of thing where you say it one time. Where you go, I I said it once. Do I need to say it again? Yes. You need to say it over and over and over. Say what? Sound doctrine. Doctrine is the Greek word didaskalia. It means teaching or discipline. That Titus, uh, the, the elder that Paul has sent to this church, is supposed to continually speak and teach sound doctrine. That When he says, but as for you, in this first verse, the reason that Paul sent Titus to Crete was to, according to verse 5 in chapter 1, set in order the things that were lacking. The church in Crete needed leadership. It needed somebody to come along and set things straight. And Paul's method of doing this was to appoint elders in every city. And the elders were qualified men. The elders were qualified men. Elder is just another word for pastor or overseer or bishop. If you were using Explore the Bible in Sunday school, wherever you were this morning, we were in the men's class. An elder, a bishop, an overseer, thats just another word for a pastor. Um, which, by the way, y'all mark it down. In, in the next five years, there's going to be a major fight in the Southern Baptist Convention as to whether or not pastors, bishops, elders, and overseers can be women. It's coming. Your your Bible says no. This is a job that is reserved for men. Not because they're superior, but because that's the role that God intends them to have. That Paul's method for setting in order the things that were lacking was to appoint elders in those cities. There were plenty of what Paul called contradictory people. That by insubordination, idle chatter, and deception, verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, we're destroying entire households with their teaching. So Paul said, Titus, I want you to go in and I want you to teach sound doctrine continually and appoint these elders, appoint these guardians of doctrine so that bad teaching doesn't sneak its way into Crete and ruin this church. And he says in verse 2, when he talks about preaching sound doctrine, he says that the older men be sober, right? He gets down, he says that the older men uh, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. But all of this is subordinate to teaching sound, proper doctrine, That there's no shortage of teachers in the world, but not everything you read or hear those teachers say is good and profitable, is it? You can find any number of preachers you want to. You can listen to them on the radio. You can watch them on TV. You can buy their books. Just because they're a teacher, just because they have a platform, doesn't mean that you should listen to them. You know, parenting is a type of teaching. Lord, I'm learning it every day. (laughs) Parenting is a type of teaching and it's carried out continually whether or not you realize you're doing it. And everything we say or do in our life models not just to our children but to those around us who may be spiritually less mature than us. Even absent any biological relationship. And in... That relationship in that parenting or mentoring and church relationship, fathers and men have a unique role in the home and family that mothers and women cannot, no matter how hard they try, fulfill. This is this is from Lifeway. I've read this in here before, but some of y'all have not heard it. Uh, do you know that if a child we just had VBS, right? We just had VBS, we had 16 kids, it was awesome. Do you know that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is only a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household is going to follow? 3.5. If the mother is the first in the household to become a Christian, it goes up. There's a 17% chance the rest of the house is going to become a Christian household. If the father is first... There is a 93% chance that everyone else in the household is going to follow and become a Christian. 17 to 93. This is from an article in the Baptist Press called, If You Want Your Church to Grow, Then Bring in the Men. Sound Doctrine that ladies have a role in that. That you can see that in verses 3 and 4 and 5. But does he mention the ladies first? No. He mentions the men. Gentlemen, if you have ever thought that church is overly feminine, that it's, it's all women there, if you'd show up, it wouldn't be. Amen. Do you know that the women want you there? They want you to lead. They want you to lead in church, and if they're honest, they want you to lead in their in the family too. They want you to lead in parenting, they want you to lead in mentoring. Say, well, that doesn't sound very much like the outside world. No, it doesn't. And the outside world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. I say that as a place, not as profanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Things ought to be different in here. Men, the Bible says treat ladies as the weaker vessel. Not in terms of their weak and incapable, but, but in terms of like fine china. You don't want to break it, right? Fellas, y'all are, that, y'all are that plastic five-gallon bucket that gets knocked around in the shop in this sermon, okay? I'm not going to treat y'all like fine china because God doesn't treat us like fine china. He expects us to take it. If if we're going to be the leaders, which he's designed us to be, then God ought to be able to, to shoot straight with us and say, when you're failing, you're failing. And there is a failing among men in the Western church. Now, I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you because I got a Y chromosome too. I'm responsible for leading my family. I'm responsible for leading my wife and my daughter. I'm responsible for pastoring this church. And God wants me to be a man, a manly man doing it. So men, if you're here, put your big boy britches on because it's going to be a fun Sunday. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verses 6-9. through And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 11, 20-21 And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Men, all of this to say, when it comes to being leaders, theology is your responsibility. Do not let it be your wife who is the one getting everybody out of the house for church in the morning. Do not let it be your wife who is praying at the dinner table. Do not let it be your wife who is reminding the family to do, fam- to do Bible study. Do not let it be your wife who takes the spiritual leadership in your household because your children are watching you and they need you to do that. Ladies, I'm not putting down the hard work you do, but would you rather it be your husband who is getting the kids out of the house to go to church? Dads, if it's your wife who is taking the lead on church, what you are communicating to your children is that it's not important to you. What it's communicating is that you're just going along with it so that she'll she'll be happy. But if you get them out of bed and you get them ready and you pray with them and you teach them to read their Bible, they will never forget that. And I promise your wife will be happy with it. She will. Put, put that on that doorpost. Talk with it. Talk with them about it at the dinner table. Make theology your business. Christian fatherhood's a theological endeavor. Second, Christian fatherhood's a personal endeavor. Now let's look at that list of things that Paul said in verse 2: that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. Older is the Greek word presbyterus. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to mean physically older. Presbyterian is the word from which we get Presbyterian. Uh, Presbyterians are named that because they're typically known for elder rule in their, in their group of churches. The Presbyterian is when all the elders get together. All Presbyterian means is elder. It means more mature. That you can be someone's elder Spiritually, when they might be biologically older than you. Okay? So, if a 60 year old man who knows nothing about the Bible comes to Christ at a revival, a 15 year old who knew Jesus when they were seven might be their spiritual elder. They might have think, the 60 year old might have something they could learn from that 15 year old. Right? But generally, Within the church, this, this is older. Actually, so these, regardless of whether it's biologically or spiritually older, Paul says this is a task for the men who are more spiritually mature. They're supposed to exhibit soberness. Now, common language typically tries sobriety to drunkenness as its opposite. You know, if 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 you know so-and-so is the town drunk, he really needs to get Sober. That's typically what we mean when we say sober, or it could mean unnecessarily serious, like he was a very sober man. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? Why do we say sober is the opposite of drunk? Because a person who is sober is not affected by a mind altering substance. He can think clearly, he can be decisive. It's the ability to think clearly about a situation and act accordingly. Sober men don't have hair triggers. You know what I mean when I say a hair trigger? They can go off like that. Sober man doesn't do that. That he can think clearly about a situation. He's got his head screwed on straight. They think and act clearly, decisively, and in a self-controlled manner. Men... Whether you're a mentor, whether you're a dad, or whether you're a leader in a church. You are to exhibit sobriety. Even if you're not drunk, don't act like you're drunk. Or high. (laughs) Think clearly. Think logically. Be decisive. Be wise. The next word in the King James is the word reverent. But if you've got The ESV, or maybe even New American Standard, you may have a word more like dignified. Anybody have dignified or something else there? Yes. Okay, so reverence is a little bit confusing because if you look back at verse 3, okay, in Titus, where it says the older women that they be reverent, in the English, reverent, in the English King James, you get the same in verse 2 and in verse 3. Both of it says reverent. But those of you with the New American Standard or English Standard or some other translation, between verse 2 and 3, do you have the same word there? You don't. That's because it's a different Greek word. The word for women is the Greek word hieroprepes. That's, That's your 50 cent word for the day. Hiero means temple. Hieroprepes means fit for temple service. That, the, that it's a way of saying purity. That women are to, to view themselves as vessels set aside for the use of God. Okay? That's verse, two, verse 3. The word for men in verse 2 is the Greek word semnos. What that actually means, dignified, is a better translation for. Um, semnos means... Uh, worthy of honor. That Paul says, Titus, teach men that they should live lives that are worthy of honor. See, sometimes we as conservative Christians get a bad rap because we get told we put men up on a pedestal. But we don't just put the men up there on the pedestal. Men aren't really on a pedestal, but I'm trying to make a point. We don't just give men honor just because they're men. Titus says, men, live your life in such a way that the church would be justified in honoring you. C.S. Lewis, who is my absolute favorite Christian author and philosopher, says this in the book, The Abolition of Man. And it's in a chapter called Men Without Chests. And this is what he says. He says, "...all the time, such is the tragic comedy of our situation, we continue to clamor for those very qualities we're rendering impossible. You can hardly open a periodical without coming across the statement that what our civilization needs is more drive, dynamism, self-sacrifice, or creativity." In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. If you turn on a sitcom, who is the butt of every joke? It's the dad. If you watch the kids' shows... The kids are always right and it's the parents who have to come around to see the light in the end, right? And of the two parents, who is usually the silliest? It's the dad. How about this? This is a fun one for you. I wasn't even going to bring this out yet. you know... That kids without a dad in the home are are at four times greater risk of living in poverty. They are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect. Uh, Mothers in uh, families with no dad in the home have a two times greater risk of infant mortality. Children are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol when the dad is not in the home. They are more likely to go to prison. They are twice as likely to suffer from obesity, more likely to commit crime, and twice as likely to drop out of high school just because the dad is not there. That'll wake you up, won't it? And yet, as a culture, what have we done? Being a dad's silly. Being a dad's a waste of time. Being a dad keeps you from chasing the things that you should accomplish. In the battle for abortion, they say it's a women's issue, that, that men shouldn't say anything. Let me tell you something the men who are for abortion don't want to say anything. They're all for it. They don't want to have to deal with kids because it's all about them because being a dad's a joke, right? No. Dads are the bedrock of families, churches, and society, like it or not. If we want... Here's something about men. We're cowboys. We are. We're cowboys. We want to win something. Fellas, a, talk to me, men. Do you, want, do you like to win? Yes. One man in here likes to win. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. We like to win. Ladies, sometimes, y'all think, do you all ever think that, that men getting in competitions is silly sometimes? Yes. You're like, why is my 45-year-old husband out playing softball? Why? He wants to win something. Ladies, would you prefer your husband to chase and pursue you? You are relying on him wanting to win something. That men chase promotions They chase opportunities to work, opportunities to serve. They want to conquer something. They want to build something. They want to fix something. They want to do something with their hands. That, particularly in my job, when I have to use this and I have to use this, I'm constantly jonesing to find something to do with ease. It's just that's just the way we're built. That we want to do something, we want to accomplish something. And we have taught men that this space right here, there's nothing for them to accomplish. Back off, fellas. The ladies have it. Men, we got stuff we need you to do. We need you to be deacons. We need you to be dads. We need you to be pastors. We need y'all to be missionaries. We need you to be Sunday school teachers. We need you to be VBS teachers. We need you to help us do outreach. We need you to work. We need you to win. God designed you to do that. In church, when men do that, honor them. There's a book that I was given. I'm so far off my notes now. It's not funny, but that's okay. That's okay. There was a book that I was given when, when Emily and I got married that's one of the most revolutionary books I've ever read. I could, I could feel my, my brain exploding as I read it because it was such a simple concept, but no one had ever said that to me. It's a book called Love and Respect. And the simple concept of the book was that the reason so many marriages struggle is because couples don't understand the differences between what men and women want. Women want to be loved. They want to be cherished. They want affection. Men want respect. They want honor. They want dignity. They want to be looked up to. And before that strikes you as arrogant or presumptuous... Remember that that's what God designed them to do, and that's, the dr- that's what's behind the drive for them to, to want to excel. If they married you, it's because they pursued you and they wanted to win. You didn't have a problem with it then. <laughs> <laughs> Ambition plays a role in men, it really does. 1 Timothy, this is not even, I'm going to flip back. It's a couple pages back. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. He wants a good thing. That men are supposed to pursue honor, dignity, respect. Not out of pride, But out of created order that we are designed to want to be respected and honored. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, gentlemen, pursue things that are worthy of honor. Don't pursue having the biggest truck or the biggest paycheck or the biggest house or the best tickets. Don't pursue those things because, y'all, they're not worthy of honor. But when you get caught up in pursuing those things, why is it that you want them? It's because somebody honors you, isn't it? Somebody's proud of you for having those seats or that truck or that paycheck or that house. That you want somebody to honor you. Let me tell you what's worthy of honor. Something that is stored away where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Pursue something that has eternal value and eternal honor. Your church will be better for it. Your family will be better for it. Your marriage will be better for it. And God knows your kids will be better for it because then they'll have a better measure of what is actually worth honor. And now I'll kick the nitrous oxide in so we can get through the rest of this. Temperate. Self-controlled, thoughtful, and sensible. Men, don't be bulls in china shops. We got a great word. Anthony, what was that word in Sunday school this morning? Pugnacious? We saw in the old King James. Said it's not good for a pastor to be pugnacious. Uh, but do you know what, men? Sometimes there are things worth fighting over. Am I right or am I wrong? Men, you ever had something you'd be willing to fight over? I might not be able to beat you up if you come in my house after my family, but I'll certainly die trying. There's some things worth fighting over. What temperate means is that you, as a husband, as a mentor, as a dad, as a leader in the church, you know what's worth fighting over and you know what's not. And you respond appropriately. Y'all, there are some, there, There's as a pastor, let me put it this way. There are hills I'm willing to die on and there are hills I'm not willing to die on. Something, something silly like... I don't know. Some of y'all might not think it's silly. I'm not suggesting anything with what I'm about to say. Okay? If somebody came to me with two swatches of carpet and said, let's put down new carpet in the sanctuary... And I want carpet A, and everybody else in the church wants carpet B. I could get behind the pulpit and go, bless God, I am the pastor, I am the God called leader of this church, and I want the chartreuse carpet if my life depends on it. And y'all would rightly rebuke me and potentially tell me to send my resume to several different places. Because should I be fighting over the carpet? No because it's a silly fight to have. That's not a hill I want to die on. But if somebody comes to me and says, I want to be a Sunday school teacher, and I said, well, tell me about your doctrine, they say, well, do you know, over the years I've been researching and I just don't know that the Trinity is a thing, I don't see it in, in, in Scripture, then I'm going to say, I'm sorry, you can't be a Sunday school teacher here. And if the church were to say, well, pastor, this person, they're a neat person. I love them to death. You really need to make them a Sunday school teacher. I'm going to say, you can make them a Sunday school teacher if you want to, but you'll do it without me as your pastor. That's the hill I'll die on. Temperate. Know when to fight. Know when not to. Finally, soundness in faith, in love, and in patience. Soundness means healthy. You have a healthy degree of love. And that love is the word agape. It's unconditional and self-sacrificial. That men... Do you know that you greatly inform what your children and those who look up to you think of love? Do you know the number of people that I have talked to who have told me they are still wounded because as a child their father never told them he loved them? Because apparently expressing love is not manly. Don't forget that the same David who wrote or the same David who killed Goliath is the same David who wrote Psalms. Warriors can be poets. It's not an either or. Teach your kids, teach those who look up to you what love is. A biblical definition of it. And finally, patience. This word for patience doesn't necessarily mean patience with other people, though that's a good thing, too. This word is steadfast. Men, listen to me. Primarily, men, this has to do with the church, but this especially has to do with your kids and your wives, too. You know what? The number one thing you can do to help them is be there. Be there. Be at church. If your kids have to ask, is my daddy going to church this Sunday or not? That's a bad situation to be in. They should know if my daddy's not at church, something is wrong. They shouldn't wonder what's going on if their daddy is at church. Your wife shouldn't have to wonder what's wrong if you're at church. Your wife should be wondering what's wrong if you're not there. Steadfast. That your family, your church, ought to know you for your consistency. Long consistency. Well, you just don't understand. i got so much going on... Y'all, I'm not talking about your job that occasionally or seasonally knocks you out for a time period, okay? This, this same scripture says a man who doesn't provide for and take care of his family is denied the faith that is worse than an unbeliever. I get that. But what I'm talking about is things that you don't have to do that take you away from your wife, take you away from your kids, take you away from your church. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I've got so many things that it's I, I just can't get to church every Sunday. Can't and won't are two different words, fellas. Can't and won't are two different things. Let's go back to elementary school where our teachers had to teach us the difference between what we want and what we need. The University of Georgia. Is playing the University of Notre Dame next year. This coming year. In Athens. My my beloved stadium. I want it so bad. I want to go. I can't afford the tickets. They're already too much. It would be a sin for me to buy them. Is they too that expensive? But Lord, if somebody—I'm not asking because of what I'm about to tell you. Lord, if somebody gave me some, it would be hard. But do you know what? I'm not going to go because kickoff is Saturday at eight p.m. The game's going to last three hours. It's an hour and 30 home after 45 minutes to get out of the parking deck. That would put me here in the morning. I'm not going because that would make me less than ready for church. But I'm building memories with my kids. Yes, and you'll regret it later when they're 20 and choose football over church. You're building memories, all right. Just like you're building memories when you decide to enroll your child in every single sport that plays on Wednesday and Sunday and Saturday during church events. But my child's supposed to be happy and you're a father who's supposed to be holy. I'm just going to end up reading scripture on my last point, but that's okay because I'm getting choked up because of what I'm about to say. I spent five years as a youth pastor before I came to this church. Five years. And I watched as kids signed up for one, two, three, four. Five sports. They were playing sports all through the year, and their dad took them to every single game. Never saw them in church. Men, I'm begging you, make a deposit of faith. In your children so that when they grow up they can process that baseball is less important than eternal life Amen. because every action you take every game you go to every piece of sports equipment you buy Every time you you send the message that I'll sit on the bleachers but not in the pew, your kids are soaking it up like a sponge. Personal example. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1 Imitate me as I imitate Christ. John 8.39-42 They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. In those verses that follow, Jesus makes the point, you will do what your father does more than likely. More than likely. Kids, you can't help it. Dads, you can. Then finally, Christian fatherhood's a church-wide endeavor. Verse 6, Paul says, "...Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you." In mirroring the conduct of the older men, younger men are to show doctrinal integrity. They're to be solid. When a foundation has integrity, that means it doesn't crumble under weight. They're to show reverence. This is the same as above. That the older men are to teach the younger men to live in such a way that they would be worthy of honor. Incorruptibility. That's authenticity and purity. That you should teach your children so well that you don't worry when you send them off to college 15 13 10 years from now there's not a professor on the world who's in the world who's going to corrupt their faith because they've got a good enough foundation and then sound speech that cannot be condemned they should learn the ability to communicate clearly they should learn to express the faith in such a way that it's clear and persuasive their mouth shouldn't get them in trouble but i want you to notice this Paul says that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of them. Is that what it says? No. It says, train them so that they'll be so that their opponent will be ashamed and have nothing evil to say of you. When I I used to be a youth pastor, folks would ask me, I picked this up from somebody at a conference because it made so much sense to me. When they said, how's your ministry going? My response would be, I don't know, ask me in 15 years. Because I can tell you what kids look like now. I can't tell you whether or not it's sinking in. I'll know that in 10, 15 years when they're making decisions on their own. We can evaluate how we did, men, as leaders, as husbands, as fathers. We can evaluate that in 10 or 15 years. Because one day, it's going to be your children who are defending or denying the faith. It's going to be your children's foundation that either has integrity or crumbles. It's going to be your children's faith that is either corrupted or incorruptible. Because one day, you will leave and it will be up to them. The church is going to need leaders one day. The church needs leaders now. But the church is going to need leaders one day. And the church is going to need young men to become older men. And the young men become the older men by older men now teaching them. If they miss that step, can God fix it? Yes, but it's going to be painful. Titus 1, 5, 9, 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man, a man. I asked Margaret the other day, I said, Margaret, what's Margaret? And she said, Girl. I said, That's right. So, what's daddy? The first time she said it, it was so funny. She said, man. And I said, I don't know where she got that from, but I am a man. The church needs men with chests. Men who seek honor. Men who are worthy of honor. Men who lead. Men who take the initiative. Stapleton needs y'all. So here's what we're going to do. There are two things I want to say during the invitation. One, for those of you who are Christians, especially if you're a man, you might be thinking, I haven't necessarily lived up to